Before we dive in, let's pray together. Father God, in these moments that we have together looking into uh, scripture and, and hearing the words of Jesus, I pray uh, that we would have receptive hearts, that our, our minds would be open, our hearts would be open, our palms would be open to receive what you have for us. I pray uh, that your spirit would speak clearly, that I would just disappear, and that your Holy Spirit would remain. That's my prayer. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, this is week, I don't even know, five maybe of our series. I think Four? It's week four. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Don. Uh, week four of our sermon series, looking at the Gospel of John. Now, John is, I won't belabor this, but it's a, it's a very provocative book. Compared to the other three Gospels, John is kind of in your face. The Jesus that we meet in John is, it, I mean, it's like black and white, life and death, in or out, like which one do you, wh- where are you going to fall on all this? Do you believe? So it's, it's kind of in your face, but it's actually a really good thing because it challenges us to, to look at our own lives and, and not just go by what's, you know, our easy assumptions, but to actually wrestle with, do I believe? Am I really, am I really surrendering my life to him? So we're going to continue looking at another provocative story. This time it's a story often referred to as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman at the well. So grab your Bibles, please. Turn to John 4, starting in verse 3. It's going to be page 884 in the house Bibles. And so I'm going to just start reading it, and we'll get into it. There are, this is a a little bit longer of a passage than we might normally look at, and so I'm going to read it in chunks, and then talk about those chunks, and then keep reading more chunks. Lots of chunks in this, in this, uh, this message. So here we go. So Jesus is, uh, I mean, his ministry is really starting to ramp up here, and in verse three of chapter four, it says this. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was also there, was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, okay, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? All right, so we'll, st- we'll stop there for a second. Just a little bit of geography because I think it's important. Judea, where it says Jesus was, that's where Jerusalem is. It's kind of in the south. Uh, it's where Jesus uh, is crucified. It's, it's kind of like the epicenter of Israel. Galilee, where Jesus is from, that's where Nazareth is and the Sea of Galilee, where most of his ministry takes place, is up in the north, and between them is Samaria. Now, there's, there's different schools of thought on exactly how the Samaritan people came to be, uh, but a lot of it goes back to the Assyrian invasion of about the 500s and 600s BC, when Assyria, this mighty nation, brought in a whole bunch of foreigners and planted them in Samaria. And we don't know whether everybody there was the from those foreigners or whether there was some maybe some other Jewish people that intermarried with them but regardless if you were a a good God-fearing Israelite you knew that the Samaritans were Gentiles they were they were outsiders and you're not supposed to interact with them and so most most Israelite people if they were trying to get from Judea to Galilee they would go the long way around they would not want to go through Samaria but it says Jesus had to and it's interesting you wonder was that a a geographical convenience, or was this something that God's Spirit was leading him to? 
Doesn't tell us, but it's interesting to think about. So he had to go through Samaria. And this woman, uh, her response upon seeing this Jewish rabbi, I imagine he was probably dressed like a rabbi, she could tell, I imagine it was a little bit surprised because, again, if you're Jewish, you don't want to be ritually impure or contaminated by, by touching something that a Gentile has touched or interacting with a Gentile. You wanted to keep your distance. And so she's asking, essentially, why in the world would you want to talk with me? Why would you want me to get you water, which might risk you getting contaminated? Now, notice something here. Notice what she doesn't do. She doesn't give him any water, right? He's thirsty after a long journey, and she just starts questioning him. She just launches into all these questions. It's interesting. We'll come back to that. All right, let's keep reading. So she asks, uh, why are you asking me for a drink? And then verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, it may not be obvious at first glance, but there are some really interesting parallels here between this encounter and what we talked about last week in John 3, where Jesus meets a man named Nicodemus. Uh, If you remember in that story, Nicodemus the Pharisee, he asks Jesus a bunch of questions, and he takes Jesus's responses and metaphors a little bit too literally. You mean I'm supposed to be born again, like my mother's supposed to give birth to me again, right? He takes it pretty literally, and he kind of pushes back on Jesus. How could this be true, he asks. And that's the same thing that's happening with this Samaritan woman. How can you give me water, living water? That doesn't make any sense. It's back and forth. Now, in John 3, again, from last week, Nicodemus kind of fades out of the story. We don't really see what he decides. We don't know if he decides to follow Jesus or not, at least not in John 3. Uh, We never see how he responds. And it it makes us wonder, when we're starting a story like this, is this going to be the same thing? Is this woman also going to fade from the story, or is she going to make a decision? And we'll see how that goes. Now, I like this woman. I like her a lot. Uh, I, she's, she's one of my favorite characters in this, in, in this gospel. Most women in the ancient world, they, they would have been far more deferential and submissive when encountering a, a rabbi like Jesus. I mean, that just would have been normal. Nobody's going to talk back to, to someone of, of great import, a man, a, a Jewish man, but she just starts peppering him with questions. I love that. She, John paints her in this whole interaction as a worthy dialogue or a debate partner even with Jesus. She goes toe-to-toe with him. And I love it. I mean, she's, she's spicy, right? She's a spicy woman, and I love that. Now remember, again, they're sitting here in the hot sun, and they're talking about wells and springs and living water, and she still hasn't given him any water to drink. She wants her questions answered first, right? She's spicy, and Jesus seems to be down with it. Which, by the way, a little, little side note here. Do you know that Jesus loves it when we go there with him? Like, he actually loves that. He loves it when we bring him our questions and our, our confusion and our skepticism. And you know why he loves that? 
He loves it because when we do that, when we go there with Jesus, it means that our faith is engaged or we're actually engaging our hearts. I mean, it's a far cry from just being passive and submissive and saying, I don't even really wanna go there. No, Jesus wants us to engage, even if it means shouting and, and asking questions and going toe to toe. He loves that. And by the way, one of our core values at Grace Church is that we go there. It's one of the important things for us. We ask the hard questions, we wrestle, we doubt, we work through it because it's important to us to grow in our faith. And that's a part of it. So we go there as a church. By the way, that's why we're having that, that Bible class for Bible skeptics on March 21st. I'm, I'm gonna be teaching that because we go there and Jesus is down with it. Okay, all right. So let's get back to the story. Uh, verse 10, Jesus says that God has a gift for this spicy woman and that gift is living water, living water. Now, in the ancient world, the phrase living water was a way of describing Water that moves, okay? So it could be a spring or a, a, a stream or a river that's living, living water. Uh, but of course, when Jesus says living water, he's not talking about literal water. He's not talking about literal water. Uh, look at verse 14. He says, the water I give, the water I give becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, within you, giving you eternal life, eternal life. Now, we talked about eternal life last week. Uh, if you remember, I, I, I defined it as the scholar N.T. Wright defines it as life of the age to come. Life of the age to come. This is more than just living a really, really long time. It, it, it's an abundant kind of life, a fruitful kind of life where, where it's essentially new creation living within us now and forever and after death, right? It's this ongoing continuum of abundance and life. That's what happens when God's spirit takes up residence within us. He transforms us. We are reborn. We're born again. We come alive. And that life that we begin to live, that, that life of the age to come, it begins to bring life to others. The world around us comes alive as well. It's abundant. Now, this life is in contrast to what Jesus calls in John 3, perishing, Perishing, as I said, perishing is when we are living for ourselves, when we care only about our own needs, our own desires, where we quench our thirst again and again and again in, in the waters of this world. That's perishing. We're just living for ourselves. Jesus offers us something different. Something different, living water. And I love this. In Greek, he literally says, the, the water I give will become a spring leaping up to eternal life, which is kind of a weird choice of words, leaping up water that leaps. But then you think, wait a second, water that leaps, that, that's a geyser, right? A geyser, like old faithful, it's a, a geyser of water. That is the kind of life, this living, life-giving force that erupts within us. It's not just some status that we have, it's something alive inside. It, it refreshes us and renews us and renews, like I said, everything around us a geyser of life. And that is the kind of life that Jesus offers. The life of the age to come. This is the gift that God wants to give every one of us. And it's exactly the kind of life that Jesus wants this Samaritan woman to have. Let's go on. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. <clears throat> Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Still taking it a little literally. 
Go and get your husband, Jesus says, just told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now we read that, and first reaction, be honest, it kind of seems like Jesus is being a bit of a judgmental jerk here, right? It seems like he's like really coming down on her, like, whoa, 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 we were talking about living water, and now you're like judging me, right? That's what it feels like, maybe to us. But it is important to remember the world behind the text, what was going on in that world, that culture, that time. When, when, uh, when this woman is talking, or when Jesus is talking about this woman uh, not ha- or di- being divorced from all these husbands, you gotta know, this woman was not the one doing the divorcing. Back in that day, women had no power. They did not have, legally, they were not allowed to divorce their husbands. So what that means is that for this woman to have all of these husbands, all of these husbands, it would have meant one of two things. One, either a whole bunch of guys would have divorced her, leaving her out on the curb, or she would have been a widow many times over. She would have lost all of these husbands. Think about that for a moment. What Jesus was not doing was going around judging her. What, it, it means that this woman with no power is depending on men to live, and these men either are leaving her or failing her or dying, leaving her all alone. The, the idea that she would be living with a man after all of this, I don't even think it's about immorality or loose morals at all. I think it's a matter of survival for her. How else is she gonna be able to make it another day? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if in the village of Sychar, if she was considered cursed. Can you imagine being in her position, a string of failed marriages behind her of death or divorce or whatever? People probably thought she was cursed. She was cursed, and no wonder she comes all the way out to this well in the heat of the day by herself. Regardless, regardless, whether she is immoral, and Jesus is pointing to that, whether she's immoral or whether she's a broken woman just trying to make it another day, what Jesus is doing here is not condemning her. He's not being judgmental. What he's doing is he is showing her that he knows who she is. He knows her. He knows what she's been through. And even as he knows what she's been through, he wants her He wants her, this spicy Samaritan woman with a troubled past, he wants her to come alive. He knows her and he wants her to come alive. It's just like what Jesus said to Nicodemus last week. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. So here's how she responds. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews, we know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, 
I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Hmm. So again, this divide between Jews and Samaritans, it comes to the forefront in this woman's question. I think the subtext of what she's trying to say here is, okay, like God speaks through you clearly, right? You know all about me somehow, so God is with you. And you're saying that he wants me to find true life, great, but I'm not Jewish, right? I'm a, I'm, I'm a cursed woman. Your God is not going to accept me. But Jesus' reply to her is powerful. Again, it may be a little bit lost on us because we don't think in this way, but what he's saying is, look, yes, God's plan from the very beginning has always been to bring blessing to the world through the people of Israel, right? That's what the whole Old Testament is about. God wants to bless the world, but it's not about blessing the people of Israel. It is about blessing everyone. The whole plan from the very beginning was that, that, that God's blessing would come to the nations, that he would heal the world. And Jesus is saying, now, this very day, that, that promise, that vision is coming to fruition. True life is available to all who worship him, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of nationality. Think about this. In the Gospel of John, this woman is the first person to actually hear the good news that this gushing spring of eternal life, this, this geyser of new creation, is available to everyone, Gentiles included. She's the first one to hear it in John. There's no need to worship God in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim because God's Son is among us, right? God's, God's Spirit is within us. Living water is right here. What matters is not where we worship. What matters is how, is how. In the New Testament, there are at least four different words that are translated as worship in English. Okay, there's four different Greek words, and they mean everything from uh, to serve someone in in power, uh, to to be dutiful or reverent towards someone. Uh, One of the words means to stand in awe, but the word that, that John uses here, that Jesus uses is the, for worship is proskuneo, which is a word that means to bow in reverence. This kind of worship is, is a, a posture, right? It's lowering yourself, bowing down, laying on the floor even. This is a lower of, lowering of yourself. It is a posture of surrender. That's the worship that Jesus is talking about. Yet again, uh, there are parallels here with John 3, Last week I talked about how we are perishing when we live only for ourselves and our desires. But that true life, eternal life, the life of the age to come can be ours if we surrender to God's vision for our lives. Surrender to to Jesus. If we put our trust in him, that is when we can experience that true life. And Jesus is essentially teaching the exact same thing here. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way who will bow down, who will surrender to his spirit. That is when the spring of true life, the geyser of new creation begins to flow. Put simply, true life, just like last week, true life requires surrender. True life requires surrender. And this woman, she seems open to it. I mean, up until now, she's been arguing and pushing back and asking these pointed questions. But then verse 25, this is important. She says, when the Messiah comes, he'll teach us everything. In other words, 
and I'm open to it. I'm ready to hear what he has to say. And it's at this point Jesus makes clear to this woman. This, this is the first time these words come out of his mouth in the Gospel of John. He says, I am that Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. It's happening. It's here. And the true life that I bring is for you. It's for you. Will you believe it? Will you surrender to it? And then the disciples show up and they just totally ruin this powerful moment. Uh, Look at this. Look what happens here. This uh, this cracks me up. These guys are just doofuses. All right. Verse 27. Just then, the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Oh, egads. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. This, this moment in verse 27, it cracks me up because nobody actually says anything, right? The disciples show up and they're all thinking, what is Jesus doing? Who is he talking to? They don't say anything. Jesus doesn't say anything. The woman doesn't say anything. They all just kind of stare at each other awkwardly for a second. And then out of nowhere, the woman just starts booking it back to the village, right? I, she leaves her water jar and she just goes sprinting. Why is she running? She's running because she has made a choice. She's made a choice and and she's made up her mind and she has got some very good news to share. Some very good news to share. So let's skip ahead. I just want to show you how the story ends. Look at verse 39. This is sort of the consequence of all this. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Remember, this is a cursed woman and now they're believing in her what she had to say. When they came out to to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to this woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Like I said before, in John 3, Nicodemus kind of fades from the story. We, we, his response to Jesus is unspoken. We don't know what he, what he decides, whether he decides to believe or not. And remember, he's a big deal religious leader. If anybody should, should understand what's going on, it should be him. We don't know, but this woman, this Samaritan woman, this spicy, confrontational, outcast, sinful, cursed, broken woman, She doesn't just believe. She brings her whole village out to meet him, to meet the savior of the world. That's what they call him, the savior of the world, because, because they understood and this woman believed that the true life he brings is not just for the Jews, it is not just for the elite, it is for everyone. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Living water, a geyser of new creation erupting within us. Guys, Nicodemus was on the fence. This woman was an evangelist. We know what decisions she made. So that's the story of the woman at the well. 
We could probably spend a whole lot more time. There's so many more details that I didn't get into here. We could, we could keep talking about it, but I hope it's interesting to see how some of these themes from the Gospel of John continue to develop, right? I think it's just gonna keep on going through this whole series. So we talked about her, we talked about Jesus. I just wanna take a few moments and talk about us. How do we uh, reflect on this passage in our own lives? What does this have to say to us? Let's talk about the world in front of the text, right? That's our world. Well, I have two reflection questions that came to me thinking about this passage and thinking about us. And I just, just like last week, I wanna give you a chance to think about your own life, your own walk with Jesus, or lack thereof. Where are you in this whole walk? And the first question is this. Where or what is your source of life? I want you to think about that. What is your source of life? This is similar to what I asked last week. Although this time the metaphor is different, you know, right? Last week it's about being born again, perishing and and eternal life. This time it's about true life through water, living springs. When you look at your life, or maybe your internal world, when you think about your thoughts, your heart, where, where you are, what goes on in your mind day after day, does it feel dry to you? Does it feel like you're parched? every day? Do you feel like you have to constantly go back to the well for another sip of water? Is that how it feels? Whatever that well might be, success? You going back to get, to get another hit of success from the well? Is it, is it fame or, or popularity? Is it money? Maybe it's entertainment or, or self-medicating, trying to, trying to dull the pain. Is that why you keep going back to the well? Is it stuff? What is your well? Are you still thirsty every day? Or have you tasted true life? Do you know what it's like to be refreshed by God's spirit? Is he your source of life? Is that what what brings you to life? Look, I'm not asking you if you're a Christian. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm asking if you have surrendered your life to him whether you've given up control and allowed Jesus to be the one who quenches your real thirst. Those who drink the water I give, he says, will never be thirsty again. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You simply have to say yes and surrender. Stop lugging your bucket to the sun-scorched well when you could have a spring inside. What is your source of life? Second question. Are you going there with Jesus? As I, as I mentioned, this Samaritan woman, she's spicy. She pushes back. She's questioning Jesus. She's going toe-to-toe. She's a skeptic. She's skeptical of him. And like I said, Jesus likes that. He's down with it. He can take it. He can take it. So I'm going to ask you, are you asking Jesus the hard questions? The hard questions. Are you going there with him? We are in a time where many people in the evangelical church are deconstructing their faith. You've probably heard that phrase, deconstruction. And frankly, deconstruction can be a very important and necessary thing if what you are deconstructing are are, uh, toxic theologies or, or broken misunderstandings of God's grace or whatever it is. If you're deconstructing those things, that can be really, really good. It could be really good. But I gotta tell you, I'm concerned 
Because I have encountered many Christ followers or many evangelicals these days who've done the work of deconstruction. They've torn down their old faith brick by brick and then they're just walking away from the rubble. And I don't want that to be your story. I want you to begin the process of reconstruction, rebuilding the walls and the, the, the structure of your faith. And I am fully convinced that Jesus wants to rebuild with you. He wants to, to, to do that, but the only way that's gonna happen is if you go there with what you are wrestling with. What is it that you're tearing down from your faith? What is it that you have tr- trouble believing? Where are you skeptical? Why is it hard for you to believe? Because Jesus wants to go toe to toe. Because again, it means that your faith is engaged. You're not just stagnant. Are you willing to rebuild your faith with Jesus? Tell him how you feel. Tell him how you feel and trust, trust that he is ready to go with you on that journey. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, he says, and I would give you living water. The spring of true life can still leap up within you, even if the faith you once had doesn't carry water anymore. That true life can be yours. Go there with Jesus. I'm telling you, he can take it. As we close, I just want to give us all an opportunity to very briefly put ourselves in the position of this Samaritan woman. So close your eyes, please, if you would. Close your eyes. And I just want you to imagine meeting Jesus at that well. The sun is high, it's hot. I want you to bring your shame to Jesus. Bring your mistakes Bring your isolation. Bring your pain. Just for a moment, I want you to hear his voice. My child, I see you. My child, I love you. I know what you've been through. And I want you to come alive. Give your life to me. Trust me with your life. And I will give you living water. Let's pray. Father, I imagine there are some here who are pondering surrender and thinking about surrender for the thousandth time. And I imagine there are probably others here who've never even thought about it before. Maybe this is the first time. But regardless of where we are in our journey, I know that your heart for us is that we would come home, that we would come to you. And Father, that you would be the one to nourish us and refresh us and help us come alive. I know that's what you desire. And so Father, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would bring that truth to our minds, wherever we are in our journey, that we would hear the truth that you love us, that you know us, and that you long for us to live, to truly live. Would you give us the courage Father, to surrender to you and trust that you've got something great in store. Father, we pray this in the gracious and merciful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us/hub. 
There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.